right, everybody, welcome back. Episode 19. This is Laz coming at you with another episode of The Last Word. Well, the election has come to a close, and we have no idea who the president of the United States will be. While each side says they feel good about the potential outcome. Shocker. Yeah, so much is really grating on my nerves throughout the campaign and this election, and I'm sure that most of you are aware that it has to do with the lying, lamestream media. For instance, all I've heard or seen on the news or social media is how President Trump wants to stop the counting of votes. The media, the left, and all the sheep that feed off of them are all up in arms, and it's ridiculous. How can you say that, lads? He's trying to stop the count. Yeah, but they, being the, the worthless, lying, lamestream media, are only giving you half the story. It's more intellectual dishonesty, and no one is really calling them out on it. And quite frankly, it pisses me off, and I'm tired of it. Because number one, people actually believe this crap, and number two, well, they're essentially lying. Newsflash to all you hacks in the lying lamestream media. Half-truths are friggin' lies, period. When you go to court and you put your hand on the Bible to be sworn in, they don't ask you to tell some of the truth, or a portion of it, or even half of it. The oath is, do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? So help you God. So yes, Trump is suing to stop the counting momentarily. Why? Ah, that's the part they aren't telling you. So listen to this. Listen to this. Okay, listen. Because both campaigns are given the right to monitor and observe the counting process. However... The Trump camp has not been allowed to do that. They were placed at a distance that does not allow them to do what they are legally allowed to do. Things like ensure signatures are verified and only valid legal votes are being counted. So Trump has filed a lawsuit asking the court to put a stop to the count only until they are given the access to monitor what they are rightfully and legally entitled to do. Oh, now I ask you. Why would the Democratic-led city of Philadelphia, who, by the way, has a long-standing history of shady and unexplained happenings surrounding its tabulation of votes, and the liberal hack governor of PA, why, I ask you, would they not want the Trump team to be able to truly see what they are doing? Why keep them at a distance? But, but, But why, though? Exactly. And no, it's not COVID, because poll workers are much closer to one another than the access that's being given to the Trump camp. The libs, in my opinion, have been planning this, and I've been saying it for months, and it all started with the mail-in votes. I called it months ago. They have pushed for mail-in votes so they could do exactly what they are doing, limit access and play games. And you can't tell me, if you're being completely honest about it, that the system, quote-unquote, that the Dems have in place— Leave no room for error or worse for vote tampering or fraud. It's ludicrous and it is completely uh, intellectually dishonest to think otherwise. Bottom line. That's right. Additionally, the Dems have fought for an extension for an additional three days for votes to be counted so long as the postmark on the mail-in ballot was the 3rd of November. Now look, if you can't see a problem with this, then you're either simply not qualified to have the conversation or you don't have the intellect to have the conversation. Let's start with the basics. You pay bills every month, right? And each of those bills have a due date. Now, some of them offer a grace period and some of them don't. Some grace periods are longer than others. 
And when that grace period expires, it doesn't matter when you mailed the payment. You're going to be late, and you're going to pay the consequence probably of a late fee. And depending on how late the payment was received, typically if it's 30 days past due or more, your credit could potentially take a hit. Now in PA, for example, in Pennsylvania, they had a grace period, but the Dems fought to extend that by another three days, citing COVID as the primary reasoning. Look, we aren't paying a damn visa bill here, okay? We are electing people who are going to be running this country, and we have an election date. It's November 3rd. Everyone and their brother knows when the election is taking place. Everyone in this country was given ample time to get their ballot and fill it out and mail it in. Yet, the Dems wanted to extend it even longer. So again, I ask you, why? Are they saying that their supporters aren't capable of following simple directions? Or could it be that there's the potential for vote harvesting? Does this maybe allow them more time to monitor the results and ensure an influx of votes for Biden hits at just the right time? Well, if you looked at what has happened in the states that are still, quote unquote, too close to call, that's exactly what has happened. Now let's look at the rallies and the campaign events. You mean to tell me and you want me to believe that the 12 to 30 people that were showing up for Joe and his campaign at the events that they held at event after event, by the way, that was enough to counteract the tens of thousands of people showing up to support Trump. Do you really want me to believe that those tens of thousands of people who then showed up for Trump and supported him, regardless of what time of day or night it was, and regardless of what the weather looked like, you want me to believe that they in turn did not go and cast a vote for him? I don't think so. Come on. Get out of here with that. It's, it's nonsense. And yes, I understand the Electoral College, and I get how it works. And I'm in favor of keeping it. But there is no logic behind what is happening right now if everything is truly on the up and up. The math doesn't add up. And as an old math teacher of mine used to say, math never lies. The numbers never lie. Period. In my opinion, the Dems have had a plan in place to literally steal this election. They hate Trump so much that they will do anything, and I mean anything, up to and including committing fraud and treason to literally partaking in criminal behavior to get what they want. This last nation is the mentality of these people, and unfortunately, it's the same mentality of their followers. They encourage this behavior of their followers. They applaud it, and they celebrate it, and it's disgusting. And nothing, nothing could be more un-American. So what are we to do? I mean, what can we do? Well, here are my thoughts. If the Dems succeed with their plan to undermine one of the most core principles of our system of government and steal the election and with it the White House, we as conservatives have a civic duty to fight back. Now, I want to be very clear here, and I mean crystal clear. I am not saying that we should loot a riot because that is not our bag. It's theirs. That's what they do. What we do is we watch closely. We read between the lines. We research for ourselves. We get involved. We make calls. We write letters. 
flood social media with the truth we take to our blogs and podcasts or whatever platforms we have at our disposal, and we call the left out for every anti-American, Marxist, socialist, racist, sexist, policy action or statement. We band together to fight and challenge the lying lamestream media every time they push the leftist agenda or are intellectually dishonest and tell half-truths or lies. We engage with our elected representatives and become relentless about them hearing our voices and acting upon our will and interest instead of their own. We push back when schools and teachers unions across the country implement socialist, leftist, or Marxist curriculum and policies, while simultaneously doing all they can to erode true American values and principles in our classrooms. We support, applaud, and actively appreciate those who serve us, like our police and our military and our other first responders. We stand together in our communities with hardworking, God-fearing people when thugs and rioters and looters attempt to bring chaos and destruction to our homes and businesses. Who, by the way, interestingly enough, they never seem to be Republican or conservatives. And when the lying lamestream media calls them protesters, we don't just get mad about it. We call them their television stations, their newspapers. We write letters. We blast them on social media. We hold them accountable and we remind them every damn time that when they do this, they will hear from us and they will answer to us. We get involved with our kids, and we converse with them. We engage in meaningful conversations about who we are as a people, an American people, who we are as a nation, and why it is so important to respect and, most importantly, protect that. We explain that just because you have the right to do something doesn't make it right, and that disrespecting our men and women in uniform and our flag is never, under any circumstances, something that we should accept or condone. We allow our children to fail, and we stand by them as they navigate the failure so that they learn how to deal with and overcome adversity instead of giving them a trophy just for participating. We continue to fight fiction with facts, and at every turn and under every circumstance. We let our wallets speak for us when choosing which businesses deserve our hard-earned dollar. We remain vigilant every minute of every hour of every day until the next election. And we encourage those who aren't registered to vote to do so. And we encourage those who have never voted to join us and allow their voice to be heard as well. And finally, we give thanks that we live in a country where we're able to do all of these things. and. We pray for guidance, prosperity, peace, and that God continues to bless the great United States of America. And that's the last word. Whew, that was a mouthful, but it needed to be said, and I hope it struck a nerve with each and every one of you out there in, in Las Nation. Well, as you might remember, a couple of weeks ago, Bomber Billy asked a question to one of our fans, John, from down the ocean. And uh, we did get a response back from John, but he said that, listen, world politics is really not his bag, not his thing uh, as far as his level of expertise, but he's more than happy to engage Billy 
on all things Maryland and visitation and things like that. So that's great, and we will get a question out to John. So, Balmer Billy, listen, I know you're out there. You couldn't be here today, and you're listening to the show. So I will tell you this. Uh, I feel like you won this round in this tennis match with you and good old John from down the ocean. So uh, we'll be sure to put another question together, and we'll get it over to John Uh, on another episode, but listen, this week I wanted to share something with you uh, on a personal note and a little bit different format, a little bit different um, of a topic, uh, you could say, for this week, but nonetheless, it's something that that really hits home for me uh, that I've experienced recently, so I thought I would share. 2020 has presented a number of challenges. We've watched as a pandemic spread throughout the world. We quarantine in our homes and watch businesses close, some never to return. We witness the worst part of humanity, greed, hoarding, looting, and rioting. This virus has cost us friends, family, neighbors, and coworkers. And all the while, we've been doing our very best to survive. Though from the onset, I've been saying, I want to do more than just survive. From my perspective, surviving wasn't living. It was just, well, existing. The funny thing about perspective is that it can change. So too can your thoughts and feelings about almost anything when a new perspective is taken into consideration. So let's take commercials, for example. There's nothing really inherently dangerous about a commercial. In fact, they're relatively harmless. In general, you have two different marketing strategies to consider when you're creating a commercial. One is known as branding, and branding is what you'll most commonly see and hear from companies who have established themselves in the marketplace. For instance, McDonald's, many of their commercials will show you their food and then Maybe some music pops up in the background and people are having a good time and they're enjoying a burger on or some fries and then cue their their most famous music, right? The ba-da-ba-ba-ba, I'm loving it. Well, that's branding. And it's a way to keep the company's brand and or product in front of you. Call to action takes marketing a step further. Call to action may start out the same, but then you're introduced to a promotion, say like a special price maybe on a Big Mac or fries or whatever. Then you're told to take advantage of that special price now through a specified date. Call to action is designed to get a response from consumers and drive sales while branding solidifies the company's products in our minds and raises awareness. Now, both are important in the world of marketing, but the key is to know when and where to use one over the other. And you might be thinking, yeah, okay, so what? Well, I'm getting to that. Marketing and advertising have always been an interest of mine. It it fascinates me. The right words combined with the right music and or imagery can cause people to react. And when executed properly, you can get people to do what you want them to do. Marketing, the right marketing combined with the right strategy is an exceptionally powerful tool. And I've worked in many different industries over the years. Throughout my career, I've often found myself dealing with with the marketing and advertising for a number of different businesses. And I've even worked for a local radio station back in the late 90s. Until just recently, 
I have always focused more on call-to-action marketing campaigns when working with businesses, and rightly so. We wanted to elicit a response from potential customers to buy and buy now, so call-to-action was the way to go. Recently, I found myself working on a commercial for a local retailer, and it was really more of a branding type of campaign. And as I was doing some voiceover work and editing on the commercial, I couldn't help but think, I just don't feel like this is the best use of advertising budget for this business. There's no call to action. I mean, it was a nice sentiment, and the company is a fantastic company, dedicated to consistently giving back to the community and treating their employees well. That said, in my mind, I couldn't help but think that this company isn't selling commodities. It isn't selling items that are necessities. They are selling items that are, frankly, luxuries, and you don't need them to survive. Businesses in this particular industry are fighting for that ever-shrinking and elusive disposable income. And considering that we are in a year where so many people have been struggling, or worse, some are out of work because of this pandemic, it just didn't seem to me that branding was the right call. Fast forward to October 30th, 2020. My girlfriend, who lives in West Virginia, came up for the weekend, and we decided to go to a local family-owned restaurant near my home for dinner. While eating, I noticed that she wasn't acting normally. She seemed to be in pain or at least uncomfortable, and she thought it could have been something she ate or drank not setting well with her. So we got some boxes to go, and we left. And on our way home, the pain intensified. And she said she felt like if she just went home and laid down, she'd feel better. Well, we tried that for about an hour to no avail. She couldn't find a position to relieve even a little bit of pain. And I knew she wouldn't be happy about it, but the choice was no longer hers. We were going to the hospital. Now, my first thought was to get her to the closest ER. And I did just that. Of course, due to COVID, I couldn't be in the ER with her. So they took her information, they triaged her, they gave her a bag to vomit in, and they told her to sit in the waiting room. Meanwhile, she's in excruciating pain, she's soaked from cold sweats, weak, exhausted, and now heaving. Now we were staying in contact through text and phone calls, and I could tell that things were getting worse. At one point, she told me she felt like she was dying, and that she had never felt anything like this before. So while I was in the car, praying and Asking God to get her through this, she called. Crying and obviously in an incredible amount of pain, she could not wait any longer. She had to be seen. So I called the ER, and I was told that she had been triaged, and she had others in front of her that were a priority, and that the ER was currently on a seven-hour wait. I did my best to remain calm and explain her medical history and why we were so concerned. The nurse on the phone with me repeated, she's been triaged, she has others in front of her, and the ER was on about a seven-hour wait. I told her, I'm not a doctor, but I know that she can't wait that long. Something is wrong, something internally. I knew it, and my girlfriend knew it. I hung up the phone, angry, frustrated, feeling helpless, and now, scared. I remember saying out loud as I gripped my steering wheel tightly, God, what can I do? Please help us get through this. There must be something I can do. Please. Afterwards, I took a deep breath and I decided to call another hospital that was about 35 minutes away. But unfortunately, I was told that they too 
were on about a seven-hour wait. I literally teared up. I hung up the phone and again closed my eyes. Think. Calm down, I told myself. Then it came to me. There was another hospital that was about 30 minutes or so away, and I was familiar with this hospital because many of my family members, myself included, have been there for one reason or another over the years. Not to mention, my son was born there. I also remembered this particular hospital had, in the past, run multiple ads touting their expertise in performing the exact surgery that my girlfriend had undergone a little over a year ago. So in my mind, it was more likely that they would not only listen to our concerns, but they'd know what to do. So I called that very hospital. I explained the situation. I asked how long of a wait they had in their ER, and I was told only about an hour. I told the lady on the phone, we'll be there ASAP. I hung up the phone, called my girlfriend, and told her, I'm coming in to get you. The next thing I know, we were off, headed to the other hospital. While driving, I occasionally would look over to check on her in the passenger seat, still soaking wet from cold sweats, heaving and curling up in excruciating pain. I noticed that she was looking paler by the minute. A few times, a quiet would come over her. I'd look to see if she was okay, and it appeared as if she had passed out for a few seconds. I'd gently reach over, and she'd come to and look at me, obviously in pain. I was relieved she was still with me, yet feeling helpless in the moment. I just wanted her to be okay. Finally, we arrived at the ER. I pulled up out front, went around to her side of the car, and helped her into the ER. We were greeted by a nurse who immediately came over to us and started asking questions. We did our best to explain everything to him, our concerns, her medical and surgical history, everything. As my girlfriend was being checked in, the nurse came to me and explained that they were going to take care of her. He said, we're going to get a doctor to see her and get her some medicine. For the first time in hours, I felt like things were going to be okay. She would be okay. He then explained the hospital's COVID procedures. He advised I could stay for the moment while they were checking her in and during triage, but then I needed to return to my car and wait. I wasn't happy about it, but I complied. I wanted to focus on her, not me. My feelings about COVID and the ridiculousness of it all could and would be set aside. While in my car, I did my best to occupy my mind, social media, calls to family, solitaire. I drove to a local convenience store for a coffee. I was preparing for a long night. Finally, my phone rang, and it was my girlfriend. She told me she was going for a scan of her belly and that the ER doctor had initially thought she might have a bowel blockage. His initial course of action was going to be insert a tube down her nose to loosen and remove the blockage. However, after consulting with the specialist, they agreed that this procedure might not be the best course of action. The specialist reviewed the scan and advised she needed surgery immediately. She told me the hospital was admitting her and that she was being prepped for surgery. My heart sank. Not only was this not what I had expected, but I couldn't even be there. I wasn't allowed in. I hit anxiety level 10 immediately. I asked her what she needed me to do and what she wanted me to do. She just kind of laughed and said, there's nothing really you can do. 
Just go home, babe. I'll be okay. I love you. I love you too, I said. We hung up, and I was a wreck. What the hell just happened? How did we get here? How did this even happen? Why the hell is it happening? And F you, 2020, I thought. Mad as hell, scared, and helpless, I drove home. Growing up, our family pastor we lovingly called Mr. Bill used to say that he fought with God. He'd be upset or even angry about something from time to time. I remember asking him once about it, and he said, I've fought with God throughout my life about this or that, when I didn't like the way life was going or didn't understand something. And I remember asking, have you ever won? He laughed and said, no, and I expect I never will. I've always remembered that throughout my life, and I too have found myself fighting with God from time to time. Each time, it's as if I could hear Mr. Bill say, how's that working out for you? Once again, I found myself in a position poised to fight with the Almighty. I was angry. So many thoughts raced through my mind. This wasn't part of our plan. We just found each other. Hasn't 2020 been bad enough? I told myself, take a deep breath. She's in good hands. She's in the right hospital with the right doctor. That 35 to 40 minute ride home seemed like it took forever. And when I got home, I did my best to relax. I climbed in bed and stared at the ceiling. I tried getting some sleep. That was not going to happen. I tried calling a few friends, but hung up as it was ringing. It was early hours of the morning, and I knew that they would be sleeping. My phone was going off with messages from her family and wondering if I had heard anything, and I hadn't yet, but thought, it's time for me to call the hospital. And at this point, several hours had passed, and I was beginning to worry even more. The person on the phone and patient information shared with me that she was still in the OR. So I hung up, even more worried. Not more than a minute or two later, my phone rang, and it was the specialist who had actually performed the surgery. He was very calm in his tone, and he explained everything to me. It seemed like it took forever for him to finally say the words that I had been waiting to hear. She's okay. She's in recovery. In retrospect, it probably only took him a few seconds. That whole perception thing. He explained exactly what happened why it happened, and what he needed to do to fix it. And I just remember being overwhelmed, overwhelmed with gratitude for this man that I have never met and didn't know from Adam. He then said something to me that I'll never forget. He said, I'm glad you were able to get her here, and I'm really glad we were able to react as quickly as we did. She wouldn't have been able to wait seven hours. Her bowel was dying when I got in there. I didn't have to remove any of her bowel. I was able to save it. It was essentially getting strangled, much like a rubber band on your finger. It was very swollen and discolored. Had it gone another hour, it's likely that portion of her bowel would have, would have died and needed to be removed. Two hours or more, and this could have been a more difficult conversation. I could feel my eyes well up. I mustered up as much of a collected voice as I could, and I said thank you. It's about all I could get out at that moment. He waited for a second and asked if I had any questions, and I inquired about seeing her and his thoughts on her recovery. He shared that he felt good about her recovery, and it could take some time for her bowel to quote-unquote wake up, but he was optimistic, and he said as soon as she was out of recovery and in a room, 
he's sure that she would call. About an hour, maybe two went by, and finally she called me. She sounded tired, but in good spirits, and best of all, not in pain. At least not in the type of pain that she was in when we last spoke. So, she was going to be okay. We talked for a few minutes and planned for me to come to the hospital to see her. Now that she was in a private room, one person could come and see her during the limited visitation hours. We hung up, and I wept. Much like catching an uppercut from Mike Tyson in his prime, every emotion I hadn't allowed to manifest itself throughout this ordeal hit me all at once. Finally, I got myself together. I called her family. I called my family, got a shower, grabbed a few things that she needed, and made my way to the hospital. On my drive to the hospital, I started replaying the events of the night, of the night before, and I started thinking about what could have happened. But then I shook my head and I thought, I can't go down that road. She's okay. Everything is going to be okay. I couldn't wait to get to the hospital to see her. I knew she was okay. I had talked to her. But anyone who has ever experienced something like this knows there's no substitute for finally seeing your loved one in person and giving them a hug. And I knew that my anxiety and nerves wouldn't truly calm until that very moment. So I got to the hospital, I checked in, I got my visitor sticker, and I was off to her room. And as I got to the door, it was like I was going to see her for the first time again. I knocked, opened the door, and walked in, and there she was. She really was okay. She smiled, we hugged, I told her I loved her, and we hugged some more. My nerves and anxiety subsided. This godsend of a doctor and the staff at this hospital had done their job. This woman who stole my heart was alive and well, and all was right with the world. At least, all was right for the time being in my world. I was only able to spend a few hours there due to COVID. In addition, I had to get home to take care of both of our dogs. Side note, the nurses said when she woke up after surgery, the first thing she asked was, how's my dog? Followed by, when can I go back to work? Coming in third, did you call my boyfriend? Yeah, I know where I rank. I'm good with it, and you would be too if your significant other was half as loving, caring, and incredible as this lady. On my way home, two things came to mind. Number one, Mr. Bill was right. You can fight all you want, but when you're going up against the Almighty, you're simply outmatched. Besides, is he really fighting with you? Or are you just fighting circumstances and yourself? My guess is it's the latter of the two. Some things are just out of your control. And as cliche as it has become, tomorrow is promised to no one. So kiss your loved ones. Tell them you love them. Give thanks for all the blessings that you have in life, including commercials. You never know when something you read, heard, or saw just might save someone you love. Which brings me to number two. A commercial, a branding commercial, just saved my girlfriend's life. Well, that and maybe some divine intervention. 
Laz Nation, that's going to wrap us up for this week. Thank you so much for coming back each and every week. And be sure to check us out on social media at Facebook and Instagram at The Laz Word, Twitter at The Laz Word Pod, and at thelazword.com. You can also send me an email or Billy an email right here at thelazword at gmail.com. As always, I know your time is valuable, and I appreciate you spending a little bit of it with me. God bless everybody. Take care. We'll talk to you soon.